And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Good morning, everybody. Episode 149 coming at you here. First day of November, November 1st, 2019, 7.21 a.m. Eastern Time in the morning. It is freezing officially here in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, go figure. Uh, A couple weeks ago, it was 90 degrees. Now it is freezing. We've skipped fall and gone directly to winter. And everybody who likes to celebrate uh, with, like, knit hats and sweaters and pumpkin spice lattes, well, guess what? Your window is closed. Fall is over. It is uh, is officially winter, apparently. I uh, took Taz out for our morning walk and uh, realized that I need to bust out the winter jacket. I had the, the, the long sweats on, but man, uh, and I need a new pair of gloves apparently as well. I can't find my old pair and all that stuff just kind of came crashing down as there was a big old reality check this morning. Ugh. So I will be going on to Amazon today, finding some gloves and uh, off we go. And then I need to go shop for a new jacket apparently because the one I have, it's kind of like a windbreaker. It's like a heavy windbreaker. Um, and there is an interior liner on it, which, you know, you can uh, snap out or, or put back in, which makes it a really good heavy coat. But that thing, it's too small. Like the outer part fits comfortably. The, the other spot, yeah, not so much. Not so much. So uh, I guess that's the uh, the price we pay for a successful bulking season. So uh, anyway, I wanted to start off um, with a, a quick note from a client of mine, Ben, who is in Australia, actually. So, hey, Ben, how you doing? I know he's a listener here as well. Uh, he uh, is doing, well, I, I don't know, there is a a men's health movement, and it's called Movember, um, and apparently this is like, I, I so clearly I'm totally out of the loop on this stuff. I'm just finding out about this now. I know it's not new, uh, but nonetheless, it's new to me. So, apparently... Uh, uh, it's like a, a no-shave kind of thing, and the idea is to raise awareness of men's health issues, anything from prostate cancer, uh, mental health, all things in between as well. So um, he's got a donation uh, page set up. I contributed to it, and uh, I would love uh, for anybody who has the means who is listening here and is so inclined uh, to pitch in as well. Uh, it's for a good cause. So the problem is... The nature of the podcast, it makes it difficult to like share a link. Um, this is normally where I'd say, go check out my Twitter feed, except I don't use Twitter, um, and I refuse to, actually. As mentioned recently, I am boycotting Twitter. Not that I really want to use it, but I am now actively not using it. Um, it Instagram is a horrible place to share links. I don't have 10,000 followers, so hey, uh, if you want to help me fix that, go follow me. Um, I don't think that's going to cr- get me over the 10K mark. Um, but until then, like you can't share links or make anything clickable or have a followable action item from a story. So I can't really do anything there. Um, so I don't know. The, the best that I can say is if you go to... Uh, what what is it? The the website is mobro.co, <laughs> and uh, you can search for uh, for Ben's name, Ben Liddell, L I D D E L L, and uh, he's in Australia. So you'll find his profile there, and you can click over, and it says, "Hey, we're going to take you to the Australia version of this site." And you're like, "Cool, send me on there." Um, the other thing that you can do absolutely is you can email me, and I can send you a direct link. So if you're interested in donating to the cause, that's probably the easiest way to go. You can hit me up through fivestarphysique.com and click on contact. Or just send uh, an email to Darren at five starfitness.com. That is Darren D A R I N at five spelled out F I V E star with two R's fitness.com. 
There you go. So um, I believe, moving on, that I've been ghosted. My Fiverr guy, uh, my graphic designer, who uh, did my logo work, um, you know, we voted on all that stuff and everything. Um, I believe he has left me hanging here. Um, so I'm while, I, uh, while I'm recording this right now, this is what we call active podcasting here. Um, so let's see. The, the order of events here. Um, uh, back on October 17th, he sent me, because I wanted to see, like, okay, the winning logo, can you show that to me on black so I can see what it looks like? And uh, so he did. He showed that to me. I'm like, great. He gave me a couple options. I'm like, that's the one I like. Awesome. So I said, can I get a final version with the dark version, but then also um, the one that's for, for lighter colors as well on transparent backgrounds, blah, 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 blah. And then there was one, one little revision. And so he said, a day later, let me send that over. Four days later, he sent, here's the delivery, but just with one of the versions, not both of them. So I said, hey, uh, what about the other one? And also, I needed an alteration on this. You didn't make that. So that was on the 22nd and then the next day he said yes I can do that for you on the 23rd five days later nothing so I sent him a follow-up and now it is four days after that I'm gonna say following up again please respond thanks so uh, I have a feeling that I have probably heard the last from him on this and that I am being ghosted completely and I will review accordingly and he will be blacklisted and I am pissed officially. So um, the problem is um, Fiverr closed the order because I took too long to respond because I was uh, waiting for votes to tabulate. And so I told him like, hey, I'm waiting for some feedback on this. Uh, you know, sorry, it's taken so long. Fiverr automatically closed the order, completed it, charged me. He's like, yeah, no worries on that, blah, blah, blah. So he said all the right things, and now he's just ignoring me. So um, fuck that guy. I'm pissed. Uh, <laughs> I will get over it. I will get over it. Uh, what do we got here? Um, we, got, we have a few good topics to discuss today. One just came in under the wire from Brian down Louisiana, which I, I thought was worthwhile. I don't have a whole lot to contribute to it, but I'm going to um, mark it here, and we'll tag it for follow-up down the road. So this email just came in this morning. He said, quote, if it's not too late, I'd like to throw in a topic for the podcast. What are your thoughts on weightlifting shoes? Most seem to be designed more towards the powerlifting side of things, but I'm wondering what they, uh, how they are for what we do. I actually just hit the order button on a pair, but I went the cheap route to give them a try. I've never had any issues with current shoes, but I swap out according to the lift that day with my back condition and the amount of weight that I have to use these days being so high. I want to take all precautions so that I can ensure I don't sling a rod in my back <laughs> sounds sounds kind of gnarly i'm not sure uh <laughs> like kind of makes me sit up and take notice a little bit like ooh, yeah i don't like the sound of that um yeah i mean that, that's it's it's a really really solid question so and when brian's talking about um his back issues he's talking specifically about a fairly complex spinal fusion so um yeah i mean there's there's a lot to a lot to consider for that uh my my thing here is they're they're definitely more of a powerlifting kind of thing. I have never felt the need for uh, with my squat. I've never felt like shoes were my limiting factor. Now, also, I don't have a world class squat by any stretch of the imagination. At this point, I haven't done an actual barbell squat in six months because it hurts. It has nothing to do with my feet. It has everything to do with my hips. Um, so, I, it is not something that I have much experience with. Uh, my my general take on footwear is, well, it's been a complex journey for me. Um, so I started off paying no attention to it. And then I read, oh, what was the name of that book? Born to Run, I guess, 
by what was the guy's name? I want to say it was McDougal or something like that, but I'm probably probably just totally butchered that Born to Run book. Is that the right one? Christopher McDougal, is that the name? I'm, I'm putting myself on record as that's what I think it is. I got it right, Christopher McDougal. Ha, check me out. Holy crap. I am pretty good with names. It is my uh, my thing. Also, I read that book probably 12 years ago or something. Um, well, it was only published 10 years ago, so maybe not. But I, I think I read it right around when it came out. So, um, And he, is, uh, he was an advocate for basically like barefoot running. Um, and so I did some reading into that. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. So I got my, myself a pair of uh, Vibram five-finger shoes, um, wore those a little bit, had an issue with those. This might get TMI here a little bit, so cover your ears. Um, the problem is those things develop a stink that you, it just you can't get it out. You can wash those things, whatever, it doesn't matter. Still just sitting in my closet like, man, these got to go. These, these are so nasty. And I don't know if that's something that's unique to me or what, but, um, you know, I, I think I have fairly, um, you know, if you were, if you were to look at my feet, just bare feet, you'd be like, man, that guy's got some nice feet. Like they're not gross. Like the nails are fine. Nothing's deformed. Um, my wife says I have hand feet because I can spread my toes out really wide and I can grab stuff with them and they're pretty strong. Um, but you know, I mean, they're like, man, okay, Darren, Darren's got some nice feet. That's probably one of his best features. Actually. I don't take that personally. It's probably true. Uh, and, and I don't think they're particularly stinky as far as feet go. I think they're very average, if not a little bit on maybe the less stinky side of things, but man, those shoes, they, they were just like, they became registered weapons after I wore them a couple times, like chemical warfare I'm talking about, just beyond gross. So now that I, I hope everybody's enjoying their post-workout meal right now and you're kind of throwing up in your mouth a little bit thinking about this. Apologies, not really. It's just one of the things I'm here for. Uh, man, boy, they, they got funky fast. And I did try the, um, here's how good I am with names. They have these branded socks for those shoes, Injinji socks. See, I remember that name. I didn't even have to reach for that one. I remember it. Uh, which they're they're little toe socks, right? Stupid, but whatever. Um, the problem, God, they're so hard to put on. Jesus Christ! I mean, you think putting a glove on can take some time? Now imagine doing that for the first time when you have no coordination in your hands. That's what it's like putting a toe sock on, and then you got to put a toe shoe on over that. And those toe shoes, they barely fit as it is like they're a pain in the ass to put on. Um, and now you're doing it over a sock. Ugh, God. I mean, so I, I use those socks like twice and it's like, okay, it takes me 12 fucking minutes to put these shoes on. Not worth it. Not worth it. And, um, didn't really do anything for me. I never really did a lot of running, but I did, I've done plenty of treadmill work for sure. I didn't really notice that they did much of anything. Um, like my feet did not feel any different. Um, the, the idea there being, that your typical padded running shoe encourages more of a heel-toe um, action and mechanism, which can really wear on your knees and can cause your body to break down more and make running more of a negative thing. Versus if you go with a more minimalist approach, like barefoot or something like a Vibram shoe, which just doesn't offer any support at all, you change how you run. Um, and you run more on the ball of your foot, and uh, you, you're a little bit you, you run in a little bit more of an elevated, falling forward kind of posture a little bit, which is uh, if you think about you know how kids uh, and little babies and toddlers learn to walk and then run, the concept is pretty pretty basic. You know, you put one foot in front of the next, and then you lean forward 
to initiate some momentum. And then you put the next foot out just to catch yourself and keep yourself from falling over. And then the next foot and then the next foot and then the next foot after that. And that's how you run. Basically, you're just sticking a foot out in front of the other one to keep from falling over. If you think about it, that's what walking and running really is. And so if you, if you do it like that, you will notice that, yes, the weight does shift more towards the ball of your foot. And so when you wear a shoe like that, it encourages more like that. But again, there's no arch support at all. And, uh, coming from a guy who has really flat feet, you wouldn't think I need much arch support. turns out I do. Um, so they're, they're, they're flat arches, which really is a, a flat arch. If you think about it from a structural analysis perspective, a flat arch is just easier to compromise. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't claim to have all the answers on that. All I have is a little anecdotal, um, uh, evidence to share. My anecdotal evidence on that is those shoes suck for a lot of reasons. Not not the greatest of which is just the fact that, you know, I just don't really think they do much. And let's just be clear, there's no way to look like anything other than a fucking moron wearing one of those. So uh, that's all there is to it. Uh, so then uh, I, I just went back to normal shoes, like wearing Nikes, New Balance, Asics, whatever, whatever seemed to feel good when I put it on and whatever, uh, wh- whatever was cost effective and looked cool, which is subjective. And when you're talking about my interpretation of what looks cool, what I really mean is, you know, looks stupid and doofy. Um, cause I don't have very good taste. I have learned that for sure. So, uh, I, I did that for years. And then just recently, you know, since I've been doing this podcast, I started developing some foot issues. I'm like, what is up with this God, They're awful. And, uh, so I went and I was thinking like, you know, maybe it's my shoes. Maybe I should just go and invest in some good shoes. And so I had my, um, foot scanned at a local running shop here. They do a 3d scan and they, they give you all the characteristics of your foot. Like, you know, the, the width of your heel, the width of the ball of your foot, um, the length of your foot, the overall width of your foot, the um, severity of your arch. And my foot was off the charts in the extreme one way or the other on all of those, like, very long, extremely narrow, very narrow ball of the foot, very narrow heel, as flat as they come. I mean, it was on the extreme end of the spectrum for every measurement. And the guy was like, whoa, okay. And so he recommended one one shoe based on that, which was a Brooks shoe, and I don't remember exactly what it was. And I put it on, I'm like, man, wow, this feels different. This feels good. Okay, huh, might be something to this. Maybe this will help my foot issues. It did not at all. It made zero difference uh, in my foot issues. I'm still wearing them now. I wear them every day. Um, my feet hurt just as they did before. So, you know, and I, I went and met with a podiatrist and he's like, yeah, you, well, you know what? Your calves are just too tight. So you need to stretch those. I'm like, all right, cool. So now I stretch them routinely. I stretch them, uh, intra workout every day I lift. Um, so usually for one or two exercises for on a given day, I will superset calf stretches with that exercise. So I will go and just do a static stretch for 60 seconds, um, in between every set. So I'm, I'm getting in about eight or nine minutes of calf stretching every lifting day. It's made zero difference. Um, my calves feel very loose and pliable at this point. Um, but it still made no difference at all in how my feet feel, which sucks. And it's very frustrating. I don't know what the next step in that is, but I'm, I'm annoyed by it for sure. Um, so I have not yet gone the route of the lifting shoe. Uh, I, like I said, my, I don't believe that my footwear has ever been the limiting factor for me. So Brian, I'm curious to hear once you get these 
what your report is. And if you tell me like you might think that there's something to it, well, you know what? I might pull the trigger on something myself and give it a shot, and then we'll report back. So moral of the story, stay tuned. More to come on that for sure. I have one big topic that I want to get to today, but before that, I know we've got a voicemail or two, so I want to hit those up and see where we're at. So let's pull one in here and uh, see what we got. Hey, Darren, this is Rob from Connecticut again, totally not making a phone call from my car while driving. Uh, I had a question regarding uh, a growth phase and uh, recoverable uh, volume. So um, I, I don't have any uh, specific timeline uh, I'm going for. I'm not getting ready for a show or I've never done a show or anything like that. Um, but I but I do like to bolt uh, in the fall and, and winter and, and um, cut down for summer, uh, like many people. Um, during my growth phase, uh, I'm, I'm trying to grow everything. I mean, isn't everybody, right? But what I mean is uh, I, I try to focus on my body as a whole. I want everything to grow. I follow, I've done some research, and I, I follow Dr. Mike Isertel's recommendations for um, minimum uh, effective volume and uh, maximum recoverable volume and try to stay within those two parameters. My uh, question is, if I'm focusing on my body as a whole, trying to make it grow, is that, do you think that's too much to recover from? Would I be better off focusing on one or two areas and putting everything on maintenance um, and then once I've, you know, made some progress there, switch it up to another one or two uh, muscle groups uh, and focus on them while I put everything else on maintenance again. Um, yeah, so just, just wondering, um, you know, I, I've been feeling a little fatigued overall, um, and, and I wonder if I'm, if I'm maybe doing too much, if, I, if I'd be better off focusing on a little bit at a time instead of everything as a whole. Thanks very much. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. Very good question here. So first of all, I am familiar with Mike Isretel. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of what his Renaissance periodization program looks like, periodization program looks like. Um, so I can't speak to that as far as like, oh, is it too much, et cetera, you know, and what do you say, minimal effective volume and things like that. I mean, I'm familiar with those concepts. I don't know what his specific take is on exactly what that is, if there's a number or anything like that. But we can look at uh, context and just talk big picture here. So um, and of course, the other thing to go along with this is the diet is super critical. So if you're fatigued, it may just be that your diet is insufficient also and you just need a little bit more caloric intake. That's certainly a possibility. I don't know. It's something to consider at the very least. And I don't want to have this conversation and ignore that part of it. So, But if we look at the rest of it, so let's say the diet is mostly sufficient. It's good. Um, there's enough calories. We're not gaining fat at a, a rate that is undesirable or anything like that. Just looking at fatigue and picking up some context clues here is good and also reasonable expectations. So if your physique overall is fairly balanced, then I think trying to focus on growing everything is fine. You know, if you're if you're balanced, there there's nothing that says you need to focus on just one muscle group or two. Um, at the expense of everything else, because then what you will do is find yourself less balanced over time. Um, and unless that's your goal, that seems kind of silly to me. So I, I would say absolutely, there's nothing wrong with trying to grow everything. What that does mean is that you can't just throw a boatload of volume at everything and say, well, more is more, so let's do it. Let's hit everything twice a week and do two a days, etc. And you're going to find yourself in the toilet really quick doing that. 
Um, so for me right now, my strengths, um, according to my coach, I don't really see it this way just because, and this is why I have a coach. So, uh, because I, I do a very poor job of judging myself when looking at photos, but supposedly my strengths are chest, arms, and shoulders, which means my weakness is back and legs. So therefore I hit back twice a week. I hit legs twice a week. I hit chest, arms, and shoulders all on one day, um, to, to, you know, they, they don't, they aren't a priority. We don't need to grow them. We just need to, you know, ma- maintain with those. Realistically, I could probably even skip that day and do okay for a little while and just hit two days of back, two days of legs, and then take three days off, which would be good. So with the five-day rotation that I'm on right now, back twice, legs twice, and then everything else on one day, uh, it's been difficult just because I've had, I had a rough month of October coming back off travel, jet lag, getting sick, recovering, getting sick again. So it's it's been kind of a shit show of a month. So I'm definitely off my groove for sure. Um, and I've been a lot more fatigued and kind of struggling a little bit. So I went in on Wednesday two days ago and had what I would say is you know, a very unimpressive leg workout. Not the kind of thing that's really going to move the needle at, at this stage with, with what I need to get done. So... Um, I'm, I'm going to go hit back today and hopefully it'll be a little bit better. Um, I'm going to try and slow things down a little bit, not try and, you know, really, really fixate on weight too much, but just get, you know, get some work done and really get a good connection on everything. So, um, listen to yourself though. And I I don't think your strategy is bad as far as trying to train everything. Now, if you can look at yourself and assess yourself fairly or get somebody else to help you with that and say, Hey, you know what? I think you should really, you know, focus on X or X and Y then yeah, do that. Give them a little extra volume, pull back on something else that might be considered more of a strength. And that might be uh, even more appropriate. Uh, I don't think there's a problem, however, with trying to train everything and hit it all. What I would say is how many days are you trying to do it on? When you're trying to grow, I think there's a lot of value in sticking to like, you know, five days or six days, but certainly not seven. I mean, you got to make sure that you're resting and recovering, giving yourself at least one day off completely where you don't even think about going to the gym. And if you are in that stage where you're feeling fatigued and feeling kind of run down, then that day off should be like your saving grace. You should be looking forward to that more than anything else in your calendar for the week. Uh, and and if you're not, then I would question what's really causing the fatigue. If you're like, oh man, I'm so tired, but oh, I can't wait to go to the gym every single day. There's a disconnect there. Something isn't right. So, uh, so something else is off then. Um, and I don't know what it might be, but there's a lot of possibilities. Sleep, I'd come back to the diet and say that could be an issue as well. So certainly worth considering there. Um, it's a tough thing to answer without knowing the details about that program. I wish I knew a little bit more, tried to do a little bit of digging around here, but it it was difficult for me to find anything useful, um, to, for uh, purposes of the discussion here on exactly what the specifics are in Renaissance periodization. So, um, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for you on that, except listen and err on the side of taking an extra day here and there to recover. That's the one thing. And I find myself saying that more and more lately, as I've been buying into that more and more myself lately as well. Days off are good, especially when you're trying to grow. If you're on a cut, okay, we we're, we got a, a schedule, we got a time crunch, uh, we we have to stay on a, a consistent schedule, and you know, a day off might actually, you know, that's it, a missed opportunity during a growth phase. No, I mean, you know, that's those days off are when you grow the most, as long as you're putting in good quality work on the other days. So, um, hopefully, that helps a little bit. Now, I wanted to um, come at uh, this last topic here. 
and dig in on this. And what I'm really going to do is something a little bit different, which makes me feel a little bit lazy, but I'm going to roll with it anyway, um, which is I'm, I'm just going to mostly read something to you and comment on it. So um, this comes from the uh, something that I used to really enjoy, which is uh, declined into just a really sorry state of affairs, which is the RX Muscle forums at uh, at um, rxmuscle.com. So the discussion forums there used to be loaded with really good stuff, and now it's just idiots posting stupid topics and you know just starting arguments for it's just really devolved into something that is just not uh, worthwhile anymore. But I went back there to look for commentary on something specifically a while back, and I found this post. Um, it's uh, from a guy, I'm assuming his name is Mike. His username is hi from Mike 65 So, um, And he had this, this post, and uh, it really, really touched something on me. And I'm like, I think more people need to, need to see this. And so um, I can't remember if this was in response to something else or if this was just a thread that he started just to say this stuff. But um, the, the opening line of it really kind of sets the, discuss, sets the topic for what we're going to be talking about here. What he says is, quote, I see a pro qualification in bodybuilding and a pro win as similar to gambling with a roulette wheel. For the little ball to go into the right slot, innumerable factors have to go your way. I'll run down the main ones. And then we go into this laundry list of all of these things. And so I want to touch on these. Basically, you know, if you want to succeed at a high level, and we talked about this before, you know, the guy who wants to be Mr. Olympia and just like does not have the genetics to, you know, uh, even, you know, be, be competitive in a, a local show, you know, we have to have to reassess those goals a little bit. Um, so the, a, and his point here is, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen and has to happen well. It's not just checking the boxes, but you know, you've got to make your own luck to some extent. You've got to um, just get lucky and have those genetics as well. So what he goes, and I'll, uh, this, I don't know that these are in any particular order, um, but uh, th this is what it looks like here. And so um, he says, quote, your training must go right and you must start your training for a show well before your competitors are deciding whether they even want to enter it. You must avoid injuries at all costs. Very true. Injury is basically the death of a prep. Um, I've had some people um, who have had minor injuries. I being one of them last year, I had that thing go on with my wrist um, where with some modifications, I didn't actually miss a day. So it was a fairly minor injury. Didn't even have to take an extra day off. But, you know, if you end up... Um, missing a week or more than a week, God forbid, during prep because of an injury in your training. Um, sickness can do the same thing as well. Um, yeah, I mean, again, if you're going for, you know, to, to be competitive at the pro level, you, you've, I don't want to say you've tanked yourself, um, but you've really set yourself up against a wall in doing that just because there, there are going to be other people that are equally genetically gifted and have similar development can bring a similar level of conditioning that, uh, work just as hard as you, as you did that did not get sick or injured during their prep. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of sucks. There's only so much you can do about that, but yeah, I mean, your, your training, you know, you, it has to go right. Meaning that you have to know what you're doing. You can't really still be like getting your feet under and under you and learning what works well. You got to know what works well at that point. Again, we're talking about at the pro level. What is that take and uh, you start training well before which means you know you don't finish a show and then take a few months off and then be like I think I'm going to do a show again no sorry at pro level that doesn't fly 
That doesn't fly. That that can happen for maybe your first show or something like that. It's very common. We've talked about that many times here. But at the pro level, no, there is no off season. You're either pre contest or you're improving and growing. Um, you can take a little time off for sure, but you know, just to recover, uh, not because you're out of the routine or anything like that. That's just a, that's a complete non-starter. So, um, next up, quote: Your diet must go right, and you must not get off your diet for more than one day a month. One of my all-time favorite statements in bodybuilding is from the Teen Nationals winner profile in mus- Muscle and Fitness. I don't know who that is, but the quote is, he loves pizza, and he has it once a year. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's, that's hardcore. But again, to be successful at the pro level, you're not going to do it if you aren't hardcore. So <laughs> I, I, I think that quote really rings true. Yeah, and I, I would say actually he, he's being kind here by saying you must not get off your diet for more than one day a month. I'd say at the pro level, if you're off your diet for a, a day out of the month, uh, no, because there are other guys that aren't, that like I've said before, are equally as gifted. I say guys, I mean collectively people, men, women, whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, and you know, being off your diet might mean like, oh, we're having a cheat meal or a refeed. Well, that's not off your diet. It's just your diet is different for that day. So I wouldn't count that as being off your diet. Next um, quote, your stress level must stay down and your sleep habits must be regular and sufficient for recovery after training. So underrated, so true on that. Absolutely. Which does not mean you can't have some stress in your life and everything has to be rosy and you have to have an entourage of people following you around and personal assistants doing everything for you. Life goes on. I get it. But if you're an anxious, wired individual and you get stressed out about stuff and there's stuff going on that just you know, is not related to your prep that's causing you to be a little frayed at the edges, you're setting yourself up for a harder time. And not to belabor the point, I can probably say this about everything on this list, there are other people doing the prep for the same show that are, you know, in the same boat you are that are handling their stress better. So it doesn't mean that you don't have stress, but it means that you handle it well. So you have these stress factors, but those don't necessarily have to stress you out. You can handle them better and just have a better grasp on, you know, your life in general and be able to roll with the punches a little bit. And so I do, I've seen this before and I've, I've worked with clients who are like this as well, where, um, yeah, under normal circumstances, I would say, man, they are, they, they have a very high stress environment in their life, whether it's job, just busy family life, lots of responsibilities. You know, I've worked, worked with people who have had a full-time job and then, um, do like loads of volunteer work or church work uh, in their downtime as well. That really has high levels of demands on their time. Uh, so yeah, and you would think that's stressful. And they report their check in like, oh, I'm really stressed. And I'll have a conversation with them like, are you really, or do you just feel like you should be because of all the stuff that you're doing? And in- invariably, the people who have a really smooth prep are the ones who might think that they're tr- stressed, but really they handle it really well. So it's more just like they're busy, and that's fine. Busy and stressed are two different things. Very different things. And sleep and uh, sleep habits must be regular and sufficient. And again, you can find all kinds of stories from men and women who are like, oh, I'm operating on four hours sleep as I prep for this show, blah, 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 whatever. Look at me. I'm shredded and I've had a great time. Yeah, good for you. You're the exception. That does not work for most people. So don't think that you're going to be one of those people because chances are you probably aren't. 
Um, next up, quote, your supplementation regime must be affordable, on target, and tracked by a sympathetic physician. That certainly does help. It really, really does. Now, for, for supplementation, what he's talking about here is gear and AAS. So, you know, you don't need your, your vitamin C and echinacea supplements monitored by a physician. But um, if, you're, if you're talking about hormones, testosterone, whatever it happens to be, a full pre-contest cycle, Having blood work done on a regular basis, and I don't, I don't, I mean, you can really overdo it. So, like, I'm getting my blood work checked every four to six weeks. Well, kudos, most people aren't going to do that. Again, we're talking about at the pro level here. I, I think it's very easy to to overstate the importance of that. Um, I, well, it's easy to do both. It's easy to underplay it and say, like, hey, you don't need to check it. You can just go by how you feel. No, no, you, you can't. But also, I, you don't need to monitor every month. It's just not realistic and not practical for most people. So um, I think it's good to monitor it as frequently as you can, um, which is usually before and a little bit after a big cycle, which might end up being you know twice a year, which is, I think, a pretty aggressive monitoring tactic um, for, for most people and pretty appropriate for uh, a bodybuilder who's using chemical assistance. So that, that makes sense to me. Um, Next up, quote, you must have a helicopter trainer slash nutritionist who hovers around you every day or several times a week, even if it's online coaching. I do kind of agree with that. Um, it also depends on the person. Some people really benefit from having somebody who is really, really involved and that they're touching base with on a weekly basis. By the same token, I've worked with a lot of people who just go about their business, they do it, they give me what I ask for, we check in, we get some good information every week, and then they, uh, they, they do really well, and then they're on point for the week, and usually, you know, I'll, I'll want to touch base more frequently as the show gets closer, not just weekly, but, you know, twice a week, three times a week. Um, so I, I do believe in that, but I, I don't believe in the, the helicopter part of it necessarily. I feel like if you need, if you are somebody who needs to be micromanaged, it's because you need to get your shit together a little bit more. Um, you should be able to sustain yourself for the most part. Um, I think there's a lot of value in just checking things periodically to make sure like, okay, do we need any changes? How are we here? Just the, the leaner you get, the tighter things get, the more you have to stay on top of it in order to keep the changes coming. So, um, I partially agree with that, but you know, um, I'll take exception to a little bit of it as well. Um, next up, quote, you must be the best poser in your division. Practice it daily in front of front and back mirrors and have your posing critiqued by others who can catch your posing flaws. Posing is the art of illusion and critiques can catch posing flaws magnified by stage lighting. Lee Labrada said in the late 80s that he intended to be the best poser in the world and he practiced an hour a day. It showed on stage. He beat men much bigger than him. This is probably the most underrated part of show prep for somebody that's done that is doing one show that is getting ready for their first show. Um, no matter how much I tell them, uh, it's just impossible for somebody to really predict how important it is to pose. Um, now you don't have to be Lee Labrada and spend an hour a day on it, but if you do, it's not going to hurt you. Uh, the The problem that I see is a lot of people who have really exceptional physiques that just don't nail the posing and. Here's the thing. By the time you get up to up on stage, if you are thinking about your posing, you're, you're already screwed. 
uh, you're already screwed. It should be automatic completely. It should be reflexive. It should just be an extension of who you are. And the only way you get that way is through practice and watching yourself. Having the front and back mirrors is a huge help. It's one of the reasons why when I do a posing video for my coach each week, I do it in the room um, at, uh, at the gym where it's not really perfectly set up for it, but I can see my back when I'm doing a back pose. So I, I use the mirror in front of me, which reflects off the mirror on the parallel wall on the opposite side of the room, and I can see my back there. And I can always do a better job of hitting that um, when, I, when I'm in that room for sure. Next up, quote, you must have a support group that will put your needs first for the prep window up to a show and help you come down from it. I've seen and heard so-called supporters who are throwing their friends off by getting them worked up about bad judging, which happens at every contest. Lee Priest was sitting at a judging table once when he heard people behind him yelling, our friend got screwed. He turned around to them and said, get used to it. I had to. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Now, I, I don't know about... Uh, the, necessarily the first part of this about having a support group that will put your needs first. Um, I'm a big believer in not being a prep martyr. So yeah, it's hard. I, I get it. it. Doing a show and getting ready for a show is hard. It's also something that you elected to do and it's a hundred percent voluntary. So if you aren't going to suck it up and just bear that cross quietly for yourself, don't do it. Don't drag other people down around you. So don't rely on other people to bring you up. Conversely, bring yourself up. Suck it up and do the work. And just remember, at all times, you chose to do this. And if at any time you feel like, God, I'm just not cut out for this. Well, you know what? You can quit. And I don't say that as a spiteful thing, but I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe you can pull out of a show. It's not the end of the world. It is fine. Lord knows I've done that many times myself. Um, it, it is very common for somebody who has really high expectations to have a lot of false start preps before they actually see through and, and, and take it to its logical conclusion. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, so having a support group there, like people to provide a little bit of support, help out with certain things. Yes, 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 absolutely. But, um, I, I don't know that, uh, having a group that puts your needs first, I don't think that is necessary. I don't think that is reasonable at all. Um, but more than that, I don't think it's necessary. I think you should be able to carry your own luggage and uh, do it yourself. Now, having a team around you, like a, a coach, a posing coach, um, a massage therapist, uh, a friend who can, you know, help push through some workouts, but you know, you're, you're there to support them through that as well. It's not just a one way thing, you know, um, don't, don't be a, don't be a leech. Don't be a, a suck or a, an energy drain for those around you. Um, whether you're on prep or not, I, I just don't think that's a reasonable expectation to, for, to, to have for friends so or family for that matter. And about, yeah, getting worked up for judging. I mean, I will be honest with people and, um, you know, like, uh, 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 Nichelle, who complete, competed a couple weeks ago and is competing again tomorrow. We got our fingers crossed there. Uh, I I've, I feel like she kind of got screwed a little bit on judging for the last show. Nothing we can do about it. All I did was say, yeah, I don't agree with that decision. And I, this is the conversation I had with her. Like, I, I don't agree with that call. I don't think that's right. But, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. So, you know, all, all we need to do is go back and continue working and make the judge's job easier. So, um it becomes impossible for you to get screwed. Of course, it's always possible. Uh, but you got to make it, you know, as easy for the judges as possible. Like, look at me. There's no way anybody's better than me. And and it's just practice and time that makes that happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, getting everybody gets screwed. Um, 
the, uh, the the only times I've seen where it's legitimate to get pissed off and upset is when they make a mistake on stage and they hand an award to somebody and then say, oops, we made a mistake. It actually goes to this person. Like, no, fuck that. Absolutely not. That is not cool. And uh, that that would be a reason for me like, okay, we just need to boycott this show because they, they got to get their shit right. That ain't cool. That's on the judges. Um, and, and specifically I put that on the head judge because they tabulate the votes and then they hand that result to the MC. So everything passes through the judge's hands. Um, and so that head judge, which is usually somebody who's fairly high up in the, the state's organization, uh, has got some explaining to do. That's the only time and I've seen that happen before. I've been in the audience when that's happened to a friend. Um, and that's the only time where I think it's, it's okay to get pissed and revolt a little bit. <laughs> so... Um, and then, uh, finally, the last one here is quote, if all the above is in place, it doesn't matter if you're old school, new school, or no school, you will find the things that work for you. Everyone's path is different because everyone is unique. If you've done all these things, then it doesn't matter how the contest goes. You have won it before you stepped on stage. You brought your level best to the stage and let the chips fall where they may. And if there is one thing that I'd like everybody to take from this little topic right here, it's that. It's the concept of, you know what, <laughs> I, I think that uh, in our society these days, this, con- this concept really gets a little bit too much traction of like, you're a winner just by doing it. I'm like, yeah, not so much. You know, there's still winners and losers. But in bodybuilding, the only thing you have control over is yourself. You don't have control over anybody else who shows up on stage. So it really is, as the cliche goes, that everybody shares and very few people actually believe it's you versus you. It's the you of today versus the you of yesterday. Um, And if that person, um, if you have improved and you took third in your last show and you took fourth in this show, that does not mean that you did worse in the second show. It means you had better competition around you or the judges saw things differently this day or whatever. None of that shit matters, realistically, unless it does matter. If there's like prize money at stake or something like that, or if there's Olympia qualification points at stake, then it matters. The difference between third and fourth place any other time doesn't matter. It's not the difference between a pro card or not. It's not the difference between a national qualification or not. Um, And if it was, that still wouldn't matter. Yeah, it sucks. Like, oh, man, top two get nationally qualified. I got third. Oh, God, yeah, close but no cigar. Damn, let's try again. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start all over again as the old jazz jazz standard goes. Uh, But you don't have to start all over. You know, you're not starting from square one. You're picking up the pieces and you're moving on from where you left off. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am such a huge believer in that. And, you know, I, I, I got into a, a little something with a, a former client once not too long ago where um, I, I said something about, you know, just to be clear, you know, we're not going into this show to win. And she took exception to that. She's like, of course I am. I'm like, look, we're going in to be competitive and be the best you can. But if you're going into your first show with your sights on winning it, Sorry, you've got the wrong outlook, and that, that's not really up for debate. Like, yeah, we want to do well, but you know who else is looking to win that show? Everybody. And how many of them are, are in for their first show here? Not a lot. You know, if you're going for an open division, you're like, I'm going to win it in my first show. Probably not. 
be realistic. We want you to be competitive. We want you to look your best. Ultimately, I don't care if you win, which might sound terrible as a coach, but it's also true. You know, I, I want you in your first show to get through the process, start to finish, do as well as you can, be competitive on stage, and establish a baseline for a first show. That's what I want you to do. I want you to see the process through to the end. I'm not going to kill you during your prep. I have done it enough times to know that if, if you look to you know, get somebody at the kind of conditioning where they're going to win their first show, they're never going to get on stage. They will not make it. And it has nothing to do with they're a low-quality human being. They're just not tough enough. That is true. They aren't tough enough because you develop that toughness over time. You do a handful of preps, and you find that you can push yourself a little bit harder. Trying to get somebody to follow a, a prep protocol that is necessarily necessary to win an Olympia for their first show, there are very, very, very few people that are ever going to see that through and get up on stage. And my goal is not to kill somebody's bodybuilding dreams before they ever start. Uh, I want you to do a show and I want you to do it successfully. So I'm going to throw some variables at you that maximize our results, but also allow you to succeed and allow you to get through on show day. You might not be as lean as you, as you want, but guess what? You made it. You look competitive up on stage Awesome. We like that. That's a baseline. Now, next time out, the stakes get raised a little bit. Now, we know what you can do. Now, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit more. We're going to come in more conditioned. We're going to come in harder, fuller, bigger, etc. But you've got to put in the work in the offseason as well. So, I just really love that whole post. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in there about just mindset and um, what it takes because it does take a lot. It really, really does. So I'm glad we had a, a we, I'm glad we had the chance to talk about that. I'm glad I did it. It's like I just took you along for the ride with me. Sorry. Um, so that's it. Now, one other note. I always tell people that um, part of setting a big goal and seeing it through to its conclusion is just putting it out in the universe. And so I've said this to a couple people, and I'm going to put it out in the universe right now, formally, at the 45-minute and 28-second mark here in episode 149 of The Drop Set. Now, if you know me, this isn't going to come as a big shock or anything like that. But nonetheless, I am formally, officially putting it out there right now. This is not related to bodybuilding at all, but it's a personal goal, and it's something that has been on the back burner of my life for 20 years, longer than 20 years. I'm going to do it. So what I'm going to do, and this is going to be, 2020 is a big year. Whew, I'm a little nervous just saying this. <laughs> uh, I am going to put out an album. Oh, yeah. Yep. And this is something that will be available on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora. It's going to be real. There's going to be artwork. There's going to be liner notes. Uh, there may or may not be a physical CD. I'm not sure if I, I want to go that route or not. It's just in 2019, 2020, I'm not sure it's really necessary. Uh, but nonetheless, I might want to have something that I can hold in my hands. Might might be kind of nice for, for that reason there. But um, I'm doing it. So I am in a position right now where... Um, everything is doable. Um, and also I was commenting to my wife last night. I'm like, you know what? We are uniquely set up to be able to do this just because of the people that we know. Um, I always thought before that if I was going to do this, I would have to do it all myself. Uh, and it, it dawns on me that no, that is not the case. Um, because we've got some really good friends, 
um, who are experienced and know some things and have some connections. So there's a studio in town that I've been recommended to, and I'm going to go check it out soon and get a tour and talk to the guy who runs it, make sure it looks like the right kind of place. The only thing I know about it so far is that Dolly Parton is recorded there, which, hey, in Knoxville, Tennessee, that's a big fucking deal. Okay, she is she is royalty here, so because she's from here, you know. So, um, well, nearby at least, uh, Sevierville. Uh, so I, I we've I've got that. Um, I have uh, a drummer secured who is uh, happy to play on the album. I have a couple of bass players I could reach out to. A couple of guitar players I'm going to connect with. I have potentially a violinist who can show up who I know is absolutely amazing at what he does and can really like add such a unique sound to some of these tracks. I've got a couple of celloists that I know as well that I could reach out to. So the process for me right now is writing, arranging and recording a demo for, for an album's worth of songs. So my goal is to come up with about 15, 16, 17 songs and, uh, whittle that down to a good 12 or 13 for an album, just depending on how long they are um, and how things flow together and what seems like it fits together, but something about that length. So, so far, um, as far as fully worked up demos, I have about eight in the can currently. Um, and the the funny thing about this is each one I do, I'm a little bit more excited about than the previous one. And some of these ideas um, started from things that I've recorded as just like little snippets 20 years ago. Like they're that old. Some of them um, were... Uh, demos that I, I recorded where, you know, I'd sit down at night. Part of the nighttime routine is I like go upstairs. I've got the piano up there and I just put my phone um, on the, uh, on the stand and I start playing stuff. And as soon as I get, I'm like, huh, that's an interesting idea. I hit record, da, 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 make a note of what the chords are. And then I send that to myself and I throw it in my, uh, my catalog that I store on the computer of just ideas. So um, I put a song together two days ago where I just pulled up a couple of those ideas and I stitched them together and I'm like, found the right key for it and uh, put it all together and recorded a piano track. I'm like, wow, that's really good. I like that. And then the next day I went and I recorded drums, bass and guitars for it. And boom, 24 hours after it was created, it was done. That's that's my demo track. So it still needs words and and, uh, a melody. That's where the wife comes in. She's going to write that stuff. So we have two tracks that are totally done with everything. Like they're they're in the books. They are ready to go and record. Um, I've got five, six, or seven more um, that are in need of words, and then I'm still writing on the rest of them. So um, I suspect, realistically, the writing process for me should be done in the next three to four weeks because I'm churning stuff out at a pretty quick pace right now. Probably have more stuff than I need, and I can really start to whittle through some stuff and put some things like, yeah, save that for the next album. So nonetheless, I'm beyond excited about this. I'm going to do it. I can't wait to get this stuff um, fleshed out in greater detail and and get to it. So um, it's long overdue. I've been wanting to do this for years and years and years, and now uh, it's going to happen. And just the the palpable excitement I get when I think about that, and I sit down in the in the recording space behind me over here, and I'm like, okay, let's lay down a drum track. And just thinking like, man, one day a real drummer is going to play this, and it isn't going to sound like shit, and that'll be exciting. <laughs> and a real bass player will play this part, and it'll actually sound competent and in time. Uh, so the demos are a little rough to listen to. They are, I'm not going to lie, but uh, it's a good start. 
we're getting started at least. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. So all good. Um, I appreciate you listening here. Thank you once again. Uh, any questions you've got for me, the call in number 865-518-2974. Hit me up there or go to the dropset.com. The number's posted there. The contact information is posted there as well. Hit me up. Everybody have a great weekend. Catch up with you.